the Black Health Podcast. It's me, Paula, and I'm here with Khadija, Matt, and super close friend of Black Health, Gabrielle. Hello, everybody. Hey. What's up, Hi. Gabrielle? <laughs> Thanks for having me, y'all. <laughs> so, how are y'all doing today? I'm doing pretty it's well. It's been a week. <laughs> yeah? Khadija, you hanging in there? Yeah. <laughs> the weather's yeah. nice today. The weather's been really nice, nice in DC. That's true. It has not been nice here. Yeah, it's been really hot in Atlanta. And, and rainy. Yeah, yeah. rain today. Mm, sounds like it's Oh, small. yeah. My coworker said her, um, her kid's daycare was out because the power was out. So there was a storm that knocked some power out somewhere here. Oh, it's been real rain. It's yeah. Storming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so yeah, what's what's been new with everybody? It's been a while since uh, we were on the mic. So life updates, job updates. Um, I think, yeah, moving. Anything? Gabrielle, I know sure, you. Sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, I had to move. Unfortunately, the owner of our condo decided to sell, so I've mm. moved. It's been positive though, so I'm okay. Yeah, actually, she lives even closer to me now. No, oh, that's yeah. cool. A nice five minute walk. Yeah, yeah. So did, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Did you walk over there today? <laughs> no, I had to come from work, so uh, that that was not a walk. <laughs> Very cool. No, life has been the same over this way. Uh, just glad that it's now warm in D.C. Um, I think winter lasted a little a little longer than I would have liked, um, but we've had a couple weeks of consistent warm weather. I actually didn't get, it was actually pretty cool yesterday. I think it didn't get above uh, 65 or 68 or something like that. Um, but no, I think still in the process of getting adjusted it's always still adjusting uh Khadija and I went to Baltimore last weekend it was my first time there um and I'll say I'll speak a little bit more about what we were doing later in the episode but um yeah we got an opportunity to explore the city with some um community members some people who live there lived there for a long time or doing some community mobilization and around health and um, kind of other related related things. So shout out to Anthony Waters and Antonio. I didn't get Antonio's last name. Brown. Antonio Brown. Um, cool. Two guys who are doing a lot of really good work in Baltimore. So we learned a lot about the city um, and hoping to form some partnerships out of that. <clears throat> okay. Yeah, I had a good time when I was out there with Tasha. And she was showing me around. We were like uh, by Johns Hopkins and everything. And she took me somewhere to get some food. Dang. It was like this little corner hole in the wall spot, but it was so good. <laughs> so we had fun. Yeah. And that was my first time there too. But yeah, I wish I could have gotten like a, a tour, like a community tour like y'all did. Yeah, it was really cool. Um, so shout out to their org. Um, we'll drink more waters, Anthony's platform. And uh, it takes one ink. Uh, they're a nonprofit. Okay, nice. So, do y'all uh, be going to brunch all the time in DC? <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I don't. I mean, I think boozy brunch is a thing. Because um, we've made it a thing here, so. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, no, I, I haven't been to many brunches. I think I like to sleep in. Um, <laughs> yeah. So. And it sounds like it's just so lit, like brunch. It's just so, it seems to me in my head, mind, like it's so crazy. Like it's like a party. So you yeah. have to be in that kind of mood. Yeah, I mean, I think by by Saturday, I just want to like chill, mm-hmm. kind of worn out from the week. Um, yeah, you're such an old man. That's true. I mean, I, I'm I don't <laughs> I don't claim to be anything than what I am. <laughs> oh no, I'm so washed. Like washed is my life. I'm proud of it. Yeah, like yeah, like I gotta. I'm supposed to get drunk on Saturday and Sunday, and then go to work on Monday. Like, I can't, right. I can't that live that much. life. <laughs> nah. Oh, my God. The last time I drank, like, for real, for real, I got so sick. Oh, I mean, I, y'all know, because I was kind of texting y'all, like, oh, I can't do anything because I'm sick. But, like, <laughs> <laughs> I was, like, I was messed up, like. Was this Haley's? What? Haley's birthday? Yeah, after Haley's oh, okay. birthday. I was, I was just like, yo, my body is not built for this anymore. It's, it's sad. Like, I have... Pedialyte in my fridge from that time. Like I had to drink electrolytes to like for days to bring myself <laughs> back to life. So it was um sad sad realization for me. And Mercy told me, oh yeah, we forgot to say Mercy's not on the podcast today. That's why uh, Gabrielle's filling in. Mercy's dealing with some family stuff. Uh, but I was just I thought of that because Mercy had told me, like, when you turn 25, like, your body is going to change, girl. Like, I'm telling you. And I was like, Mercy, whatever. <laughs> but wow. sure enough, like, it has not been the same. So <laughs> the aging process, man. So I have one more question before we get into the meat of the podcast. But, like, what's, like, one healthy thing y'all have been doing just lately in your life? Oh, can I go first? Please. I'm so proud of myself and my sleeping habits. Oh. So I was reading all of these articles about how sleep is really the gateway to good health. Mm-hmm. And my sleep hasn't been the same since undergrad. And so I've been using my Fitbit to track how much I sleep each night. And it's been gradually improvement. I'm at like seven and a half hours each night. <laughs> That's and good. I'm really proud. <laughs> yeah. Seven and a half what's, hours sounds like a, sounds wonderful. Yeah. Um, what time yeah. you go to bed? I shoot for 10.30. Oh, yes. So, yeah. You, I feel like get a whole routine started <laughs> to, like, force your mind into, okay, it's time to wind down. Yeah. So, yeah. But it's been working. Nice. Speaking of, like, my, like, wash life and how I'm, like, you know, accepting aging, accepting being washed, like, sleep. You know how we always, like, tease old people for going to bed at, like, 6? Mm-hmm. Like, lately I've been like, yo, I cannot wait until it's acceptable for me to go to bed at 6 yeah. o'clock and people leave me alone. Yes. <laughs> There's, so, like, yeah. a really bad stereotype or, like, a lifestyle that's pushed where, especially young millennials, like, don't sleep. Like, it's people take pride in being... Sleep when you dead. Yeah, you sleep when you can die, right? <laughs> <laughs> And so, yeah. you sleep and you ain't making money. Right, my, exactly. My friend so. literally has a tattoo that says sleep is the cousin of death. That's, <laughs> that's, that's terrible. terrible. <laughs> yeah. So. so stay woke. Exactly. Well. Stay woke. <laughs> Get sleep. <laughs> Get sleep. Let's start a new campaign. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
go to sleep. Yeah, for me, I've uh, I bought a bike about a month ago. Oh, nice. Um, That's I, something you would do. It is. Yeah, I uh, <laughs> I was biking a lot in Atlanta, uh, mm-hmm. so I I missed riding around. Um, Khadija's gonna chastise me because I don't have a helmet yet. But working. Yeah, on, I was literally no. about to say that. <laughs> 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 working on that. Um, Don't be it. trying to be cool out here. Right. Protect your skull. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I came to realization yesterday when I was riding around and everybody else had a helmet on. I was like, I actually <laughs> look like a fool out here. <laughs> um, peer pressure works. Yeah, it right. Does. It does. It's Normalize a, healthy behaviors. It's a public health intervention right there. <laughs> But no, my, my bike has really helped me. I commute to work most days on my bike. Um, so it's helped me to uh, kind of in, input some activity into my day uh, where otherwise I would just be sitting on a bus um, or on Metro. Mm-hmm. So that's been really cool. Um, I missed it. And so DC is much more bikeable than Atlanta. Uh, there, are yeah. bike lane, there are bike lanes everywhere. Um, and there's just a large amount of people who use bikes as their means of uh, transportation so that's been really that's been really dope that's cool yeah very cool um i guess something i've been doing is thinking about kind of separating what's in my control versus what's out of my control Mm -hmm. um and just the things that are like out of my control i've been trying to not get so stressed out about. <laughs> That's right. Um, so like traffic in the morning <laughs> yes. and at night and all the time. I just be chilling in my car. <laughs> I don't have road rage anymore. That's good. Like I can't oh, wow. control if there's an accident on the road. Um, yeah. But yeah. And I think the things that are in my control, I'm trying to take more accountability over and just, like, realizing that, like, I, um, I have the power to, like, change negative situations to some extent. So just reclaiming my power over what's in my control and, like, trying not to care about what's out of my control. Right, right. Like, reframing, like, the narrative in your head of how mm-hmm. you yeah interpret things and stuff yeah that was cool um and necessary I think for me like my healthy thing I've been doing lately is cooking at home that's um, beautiful I I <laughs> that's beautiful <laughs> I'm so proud <laughs> but I have a very like sad story of how I just really kind of had to have I had to sit myself down and be like what the fuck is wrong with you but, like, I, I track, like, all my expenses and stuff throughout the month. Um, so that's just something I'm already in the habit of doing. It doesn't necessarily mean that I'm, like, a super good, like, financial person. I just, you know, nah, I'll track my expenses and be like, oh, okay, well, you still went into debt this month. But that's what we know. At least I Yeah. So, like, um, this like a month ago or so I was doing that and I had spent like I'm really like embarrassed to say this but I had spent like $600 that month on food 
Mm. Um, as a single person, right. I'm not feeding a family of four. It's just Paula. We're like here. a very similar boat. I was tracking um, my spending on meals because I realized I spent so much in like Postmates and Uber Eats. Yes, and yes, so I deleted Uber point, Eats. Yeah, Eats it's not even food. It's like delivery that I'm wasting money on. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, so I was like, all right, uh, you need to chill out. Like, delete Uber Eats. And so you're mm-hmm. at the very least, you're going to have to get off your butt and go get the food. And if you're going to do that, then you might as well go to the grocery store. I mean, you know, it's a Whole Foods right here. It's uh, Fresh Market is right there. So, yeah, so I've been going grocery shopping a lot more and just making my own food. So nice. And it's been fun. You know, I like cooking and stuff. Like, those skills, those are very important skill sets to have. So, yes. Very cool. Mm-hmm. All right, guys. So we can get into our topics, um, a.k.a. our current events section, where really we just talk about whatever we want, we vent. And uh, it's just as long as it's related to health and black people, we can discuss it on the podcast. Okay, so I will go first. Uh, and my topic today is on uh, Timothy Cunningham. And if you aren't familiar with Timothy Cunningham, uh, Tim was a CDC employee uh, who went missing on February 12th of this year. And Tim was young. He was only 35. He was a black male. And his disappearance was really mysterious because, like, the investigators, when he, he just, he left, first of all, he left work saying that he was sick. And uh, so he left work early because he was sick. And then uh, that was the last anyone had seen of him on that day. Um, And so then the investigators went to his house and they found like all of his belongings like in his house. So they found his keys, his wallet, his cell phone, and his dog was, I think, still in uh, the dog's cage. So... It was like, okay, so he didn't, like, you know, take all his stuff and leave and go somewhere. It's just, like, all of his stuff was there. And I heard, and I'm sorry if this is, like, inaccurate or whatever, but I heard all of his stuff was there, like, like set out in the open. So, like, you know, like, orderly. Like, so if someone was to be looking for you, they come in and they see your keys in your wallet and your cell phone all sitting right there. So he disappeared. All of his stuff was still at his house. Uh, People couldn't find him for, I think the search went on for weeks, Mm -hmm. possibly Mm -hmm. months. It was, it was a long time. And I just remember like, it was just a very like stressful time. It was very, it was like sad, you know, like what's going on? Where did like, what happened to this guy? Um, And then also there were like just some weird, like early reports about like contradictory reports. And so like there was this article that came out that said, oh, Timothy Cunningham had been passed over for a promotion. And then shortly thereafter, it was like, actually, no, he wasn't passed over for a promotion. He did get the promotion. So there were all these like different sources. And, and honestly, even right now, I don't really know what that was about. And like, if he had, if he did or did not get the promotion, but I think it's a little irrelevant. And so I brought this up this subject up because now it's come out that uh, his death has been ruled a suicide. Um, And I kind of like always thought from the beginning that it was a suicide just based on some of the details in the articles that were coming out. For example, 
there were some details that he had said something kind of um, ominous to his neighbor. He had told his neighbor to delete his number and or his delete his cell phone number because you know something like you don't need it or whatever and also just like the way that his belongings were still were still in his home that meant like to me that just kind of showed like some thought on his part and so and just reading kind of like some other details about him like seeing that I know he had gone to Harvard. I know he was very accomplished. But a lot of times, like, I've seen this, like, accomplished people like that. Like, and obviously not all of them, but just sometimes that can be a personality trait where, like, these people are kind of, like, never satisfied, like, always working and take things very hard. They, they like, internalize a lot of things and they take, they're very hard on themselves. So I just kind of thought, like, some of the details around it pointed to a suicide to me and so I was not surprised when they actually did report that what had happened to him was uh, death by suicide so the other interesting thing that came out with Timothy Cunningham or just as part of this story was that there was so much conspiracy surrounding it because because mm-hmm. it was mysterious because he was missing for for a while there were just people like and I <laughs> I screenshotted some tweets. Um, so one thing that happened was that this story broke about while he was still missing that uh, Timothy Cunningham had exposed the flu vaccine. He had said, you know how like this... <laughs> Don't laugh, Matthew. <laughs> but you know how like this past flu season was obviously pretty drastic. I think, you know, a lot of people were getting sick. A lot of people died. So, you know, this, like, so that happened and it was still, February was still in the middle of flu season or whatever. It was still going on. So the story came out, oh, Timothy Cunningham exposed this flu vaccine. Basically that they, the story said, he had said on his Facebook that the flu vaccine is actually causing deaths, the flu deaths and, and, and it's ineffective and whatever. And so it turns out like, that story was completely false. Like the site that reported it was, uh, I think it's called Free Newswire, um, or your no, sorry, Your Newswire, and not a reliable source at all. They have a history of reporting fake news, um, actual fake news, Um, (laughs) and yeah. So it was just it was basically like the story was just bullshit made up, and Timothy did not even work like in that department i'm I'm gonna look it up sorry dang what department he worked like where he worked worked, he worked in pop hell okay he was an epidemiologist at the cdc so you said he worked in population health Mm -hmm. so would he have done anything with the flu or is that that's different yeah that would be different yeah I don't know. Anyway, so, um, sorry, what was I saying? Oh yeah, so the whole story about the flu, and so that made people like, people ran with it though, like this fake, super fake story. <laughs> like people ran with it and were like, oh, you know this this brother, like you know he's exposing the flu, and they the government killed him for that. 
And it was just like, it was just crazy to see like on my Twitter feed, like so many people, like people I was following or just people who were being retweeted on my timeline, like were really like, this is suspicious. Like something Mm -hmm. is going on here. (laughs) Like this doesn't sound right. This doesn't feel right. And I mean, not like it doesn't feel right. Like this man went missing. Like that's, it is a scary time, but just like, it was just like this ripe environment for conspiracy theories and everything to like come together. And so I had like screenshotted some of the tweets that I saw. Cause you know, you need evidence. You can't just be. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> pull, pull those receipts, Paula. Yeah, I got the receipts. <laughs> so this one girl and she looks like um, um, an from her picture she could be a russian bot but she looks like an african-american female (laughs) i mean it's it's twitter so (laughs) she said so timothy cunningham spoke up about flu shots being dangerous we're still in the middle of a deadly flu season he winds up missing although his phone car and wallet were all inside his home then is found dead in a river and y'all think he killed himself over a promotion and she's got like a meme or whatever or a gif um which, yeah, so, anyway. Uh, Charles Mohammed, sorry, I shouldn't be putting people's names out there, but actually me and this man got to an <laughs> argument on Twitter about this, so I don't really care. <laughs> so. All right, Charles. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hashtag Timothy Cunningham exposes at CDCGov genocidal agenda through flu vaccinations and turns Ooh. up missing and dead for his efforts. This ain't a good look, U.S. government. (laughs) (laughs) Hashtag vaxxed. Wow. Oh, he's an anti-vaxxer. He's an anti-vaxxer. That's what I was going to say, too. Like, this is is a Venn diagram of people who overlap. (laughs) Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, the anti-vaxxers. It's just a lot of things going on at play here. Yeah, a CDC. lot of people just don't trust the government. Sorry. Exactly. No, yeah. that's, not, yeah. that's that's the other half of the Venn diagram is, <laughs> and then and then I mean no, it's like a three part. It's like anti-vaxxers. People don't trust the government, and then it's like people who have mental health stigma and issues and problems with naming mental health issues as what they are. Sure. And then the the uh, cultural uh, distrust that Black people have with the government and organizations mm-hmm. like the CDC, which are like, are valid, um, historic, like the, the history is there. The history shows, you know, what has been done. The Tuskegee study is a prime example. And, but I mean, it's just like, I don't know, like there has to be some, I think some movement on some of these things. Like we have to move forward. And we also just have to look at the facts of a situation and just the facts in this situation from the get-go really did point to suicide if you kind of just take if you take all of that uh hysteria out of it it was very obvious i think i mean at least to me so yeah i mean another tweet cdc doctor timothy cunningham spoke the truth about the flu vaccine by saying it was responsible for the historic flu outbreak he was found dead in a river after being missing for six weeks this man was murdered (sighs) It's just so many like examples. Yeah, so many leaps in in uh, logic. Yeah, and then it's this other one. He knew all about Ebola, Zika, and flu shot that was killing people. It's just like, how did did he know all about Ebola and Zika? Like, (laughs) 
I, and I, and th- I think it's like part of it is people don't know what the CDC does or just like how many yeah. people are at the CDC and that there's different mm-hmm. departments and there are literally just some people and this is not who Timothy Cunningham was obviously but there are just like some people there that are just like paper pushers like I mean because that's what you need to like run an organization yeah. but like they're just it's segmented like they're people are working on different things and so just because someone works for the CDC doesn't mean that they have the secret to Ebola like it's just now and yeah and it was just frustrating for me uh because like I said the situation to me was so clear as day and I had heard before the latest news came out I had heard there was something going on with his sexuality that like that basically that he was gay and actually um my brother so my brother is gay and my brother took one look at his photo and was like oh he's gay (laughs) <laughs> like you know how like you get people be having like gaydar or whatever like they get and I was like wow you could just tell it from his photo he was like yeah no he looks he looks quite yeah so um and so then but I didn't really you know I wasn't really talking about that before the article came out because I was like I don't I don't know that man so I don't really know if that's a, a factor I just kind of heard some rumors about that but now like a more, a more recent article has come out now that they found his body and they've released I think like 600 pages of documents on uh, like just the investigation mm-hmm. and um, yeah he was struggling with his sexuality uh, right leading up to his suicide and he had sent some really cryptic messages to his sister saying you're gonna have to do this without me um, and so his family like I think his family has they knew what was going on because that's why actually that was another part of the initial story was that his family came down to Atlanta like the day after he went missing, whatever, and were like looking for him. Like they kind of rang the alarm first. And it's because they had had, they saw something leading up to this that just, that didn't mm-hmm. get shared with the wider public at first. Right. Um, so it just kind of opened the door for all these people to make up their own story. But I mean, really, it's just a tragic, very sad story of a guy who had some issues going on and, and was struggling with. Um, you know his mental health and unfortunately you know he took his own life and um, yeah so I just wanted to kind of discuss that with y'all and uh, oh yeah I was saying that I got really frustrated because there were people that I would talk to like in person who would be like hey yeah you heard of the Timothy Cunningham guy like that's wild man the CDC really killed him or the government (laughs) killed him like people Mm -hmm. like it it wasn't just on Twitter like I know how like Twitter is like this weird like bubble where people say really weird stuff where like you don't really necessarily hear that in person but I was like just falling into conversations with people just bringing that up Mm -hmm. and saying repeating a lot of this just nonsense because they had just heard it somewhere. And Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just how rumors get started. And I think it just speaks to just how there's such a lack of communication uh, in the health field. And it's like just bred like mistrust amongst communities, especially communities of color, especially black communities. And and this this guy, you know, he was kind of seen as like being a, a star in our community when people found out about him, like, you know, working at the CDC, being a graduate of Harvard. And I think he was well known in the Atlanta community in a lot of circles too. Mm -hmm. So it's just like, I think people were, didn't want to believe that someone like this would kill themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, I I think the conspiracy theories took a situation that should have been a conversation about mental health stigma, about, um, 
you know, the stigma of being gay or, you know, the stigma around sexuality. Um, And it really just um, robbed of an opportunity to really address those issues. Um, And so rather than talking about those things and talking about, you know, black people do commit suicide, black people do have mental health issues, um, it became a conversation that was actually uh, counterproductive to to where we could have gone. Um, And I think that was really frustrating um, about the aftermath of the situation. Um, But really just sad that also like that's kind of that kind of discussion is what ultimately led him to kill himself. Right. Like we took a a situation where, you know, somebody was hurting and made it about um, his career or whistleblowing or things like that. When it was no, this is like the very core issues that he was going through. Um, We still haven't been able to discuss those because you all want right. to discuss all of these other things. Yeah. Um, and that was really frustrating That's about, so real. about his situation. Yeah. Yeah, it's a sad, sad story. Yeah. And I just hope, like, I just, it just really stuck with me. And I hope that, like, in the future, you know, God forbid, but if something like this was to happen again or a way that we could prevent, like you said, Matt, like, not these things not being something that we can talk about or are widely known, that's like the reason that they're happening. Mm -hmm. It's just people are not getting the help that they need. They aren't getting the support, just community support, interpersonal support that they need. So I just think about ways that like we can avoid the situation. And if if a person, you know, does die by suicide, like they can, we don't have to have this kind of, um, sorry, uh, what's the word? Like denial, just be in denial about what happened to them. Right. So, yeah. 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 But Paula, I think that you brought up another good point about just the black community's mistrust of um, the government and different like institutions, health institutions, research institutions. Um, and like, I guess, what would it look like for the black community to have trust for these institutions that are now trying to help and serve us? And is that even possible? I think that we all are privileged. We work in these spaces, so Mm -hmm. we know that like, yeah. The CDC is not out to get us, <laughs> but the so many other people in our community clearly don't know that. So how how can we build trust? How can we, as Black people that are working in these types of institutions, um, help other Black people to realize that um, there's some really great work being done? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just better communication. I, <laughs> I think like definitely the average person, you know, black or otherwise, probably has no idea what the CDC does, what most other health organizations do, yeah. and so I think we kind of have a, uh, a, it's like a really demand on us as people who work in the public health field to let the community know, like, okay, this is what the CDC does for you. This is how they provide information, so that there isn't like mass panic and oh, he has all the secrets to the flu when really, like you said, he worked in a completely different department. (laughs) I think it's just we don't do a good job, I think, in society as a general of 
explaining how the government works, how government organizations work, and what they do for us as a people. And I think the onus just falls to us as young black people who are well informed to tell others. Yeah. And and maybe the CDC and I don't know. I you know, yeah, it should do more like outreach around this cuz I think that mm-hmm. this is something like this whole issue that came up you see it in Timothy Cunningham but you see it also in low rates of black people participating in research studies and Mm -hmm. I'm sure you you know you see it in different aspects but they should be focused on this like they should work on building bridges with the community and I think what people need to see is people who are struggling you know trying to survive day to day like they need something that impacts them on a daily basis in their in their lives and Mm -hmm the CDC shouldn't just be this like organization. Cause I, a lot of people talk about how, you know, you can't just walk on the CDC's campus and stuff. No, like yeah. you need security. It's like, it's like a big shadowy organization. It's big shadowy. Or- <laughs> yeah. Which, and I mean, I understand why you cannot just walk on their campus or whatever, but there need to be, they need to come off the campus sometimes and mm-hmm. like, just reach out to people, make those inroads, put, put faces to the organization. So yeah. And I, and I think there need to be more black people, um, that work in this field uh, mm-hmm. to just start building those bridges. And I say this all the time because I work in global health. Like we need more black people in global health because one thing that I do in my job, like honestly is field a lot of racism. Cause I work, uh, I work in Africa. So there's a lot of things that happen behind the scenes where I'm trying to, get a white person to think about something differently because they're coming at it from a racist point of view. Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, that's why there needs to be more of us to advocate for us in these, in these spaces. So absolutely. A segue from that. (laughs) So that was kind of a good, you know, introduction, deep dive into a particular case of suicide. And so I just wanted to talk about, so how do we approach Suicide as kind of an issue in our community and issue in America, yeah. and what can we do to reach out to someone who we think might be contemplating suicide? Mm. And so, just a little statistic: according to the CDC, uh, suicide is the tenth leading cause of death in the United States, according to their latest report. And nearly forty-five thousand Americans aged ten or older took their own lives in mm-hmm. two thousand sixteen. And you have states with rising rates since 1999 that go up to about 58% increase in suicide. Wow. So, um, just kind of trying to get some thoughts, especially with, you know, this past week we had Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain who committed suicide. So it kind of opened up the conversation for us to really talk about, like, you know, let's look at mental health. What can we do? to be better allies to people who are going through things. And something I actually thought was really interesting, I was reading an article about a professor at Columbia who he was saying, it's, you're kind of catch 22 and that you need to talk about suicide, but also in, they call it like a suicide contagion. It's like a term oh, they yeah, use. we were talking about this. Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Where because you see it in the news, like a lot of people who were kind of on the cusp of suicide will see that somebody else has done it and then go ahead to commit suicide. Yeah. And so 
And are there any ideas people have as to how to reach out? Because that seems to be the best advice that the CDC and the American Psychological Association has. And I probably talked about earlier how you can see the warning signs. And so a big one is uh, individuals will say, they'll start to give away possessions. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, here, you can take my car, you know, have this jewelry. Uh, delete my number. Right, and delete yeah, my number. Like, yeah, they're about to like, do this on your own. Yeah, or ominous phrases. Yeah. Or So I guess I'm tr- I want to know if any of you all had any experience or... What do you think is the ideal method? Mm. Because it's in the rise with every age group and, you know, gender, race. So what can can we do, especially as black individuals? Mm -hmm. I know for me, I'm trying to, like, not judge people what's the term not judge the book by its cover like I feel like with like social media (laughs) um Mm -hmm. and just like media in general like you see like people show their their best selves so you see them like achieving these great things and Mm -hmm. they look happy and like in terms of celebrities um like it seems like they have it all and I think I'm trying to just like not make assumptions about other people's lives just based off of what they decide to present um, to the world or what they like have to present to the world to like get through their days. Um, And so I don't know, like even if you see a friend or someone in your life that it seems like their life is going really well. I think just not making assumptions is really important. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I was in that same article I was reading. They talked about how oftentimes the people who fall into this are people who are particularly successful. So you kind of mentioned it with Tim also, yeah. where they seem like they're, because they seem like they're doing well, people are have less of a tendency to check on them. And so a lot of successful people fall through the cracks and they end up feeling even more alone, even though, you know, they may have more money or more recognition mm-hmm. because no one checks in on them. Yeah, yeah. I think um, <clears throat> it was interesting to um, kind of see the narrative around the death of uh, Kate Spade and um, is it Anthony Bourdain? Is that mm-hmm. not his last name? Um and even uh, similar related to Dr. Cunningham, how um, people were like, I don't understand. You know, it seemed like things were going so well. Um, this person had everything. I remember when uh, Willow, Willow um, Smith spoke out yeah. about mm-hmm. cutting herself. And um, people were like, why is she depressed? You know, she's rich. Um, and I, I think we have to really get rid of this ideal that um, status, money, things, are the are protective factors mm-hmm. um, against depression, against right. uh, or decrease your risk for suicide, um, and it's it's taking um, mental health um, and mental illness, you know, where the, it wherever that it, you exist on that spectrum, and understanding that it's like a it's a conditional thing, but it's it's also a biological thing, right? It's a um, it's a 
malfunction that can happen. Um, and right. there are there are ther- therapeutic ways, but also medicinal ways to improve that. Um, and so I think, Gabby, what you were asking is, you know, what, what do we think are important ways to intervene? Um, and I think the most important way to intervene is to, you know, assist that person in getting help. Um, and, it's, and it's not simply just, like, recommending that they should get help. Like, you want to... Um, help them call therapists, help them call psychiatrists. Like you want to give them numbers. You want to make sure that they get to that first appointment. Um, right. So the best advice I found was listening to what they tell you would be helpful and right. then being accountable for whatever they ask of you. Right. And, you know, that could be just enough to honestly save their life. For sure. Yeah. I'm sure also- Go ahead. I was just going to say, just like when you were kind of going through the statistics of uh, increased suicide rates since you said 99, we've seen like a 58. Yeah. Well, so it varies by state. So I know particularly in Georgia, it's a 16% Mm. rise. And then in the Midwest has the largest rise with like a a sliding scale from 32 to 58%. Yeah. Yeah. I just like... There's something about our culture and our environment that I feel like is going on. Um, And just, I think social media does play a big part of it, honestly, because even with myself, like, I notice, like, you just, it's just so hard not to compare yourself Mm -hmm. to other people when you're on social media. And it's so hard to not be on social media. And so, like, I feel you, Khadija, like, you have to, like, kind of, think differently about how you process things from social media but I think also and this is one thing that I feel like black health will be really good at doing and instrumental in doing um and just really a part of this movement but making social media a a better place like you know like I feel like we need to come out of the dark ages with the (laughs) internet basically and we are but like (laughs) like a lot of it is still very toxic and and some of it, I mean, you know, people are trying to, we're trying to help each other grow. We're sharing ideas. Like we've got all these niche communities, like anything you're into, you can find online. And that is like super dope. Um, but also like, we just need to like, kind of just start something that's like, this is just positive. This is about real people. And, and just, just, yeah, getting away from all of this, look at what I have and what I do and I'm better than you type of mentality that's so prevalent on social media and I just and maybe some of the things I'm talking about need to be focused on like uh youth like like teenagers Mm -hmm. and and kids because I think they're so like for us like we didn't I saw this tweet the other day that was so cool it was like if you went to college in I think it was like saying like from like 09 to 2012 or something like you're like really lucky because we had social media but it wasn't it, wasn't, it didn't yeah. consume our lives right. like at that point and like you know so it's like we kind of like I think our people around our age like 
we ha- we have a lot of tools on the internet. We're we're with it. We get it. Like we know how to use all this stuff and whatever. But we re- definitely have memories of the time before this was a thing. So we can yeah. kind of draw on that. Like mm-hmm. I think, but I mean, I couldn't imagine being a kid right now and like Instagram. That's it. Like you know, you go to school, yeah. then you it's come constant. home from middle school, and like your friends are all on Instagram being kids. You know, how kids are just so like immature, and like and then in high school, and then also in college, like. Just like that's really all that you ever have seen. Like I, I think that that's what that's a big part of the reason why like we're seeing um, increase in suicides with people. It's just yeah, the culture yeah. is just totally different. And so we have to like how we've been talking about lately, like meeting people where they are with mental health stuff. I mean, I feel like people are all on social media, and that's where like a big source of stress and pain is. Yeah, because I do from. think mm-hmm. it's very popular. Um, being negative on social media is applauded. Yeah. Like, we, people love clapbacks and all that type of stuff. <laughs> yeah. And so, and because you're talking about younger people, I think actually a lot of people our age and older are the people who no, you're right. I see acting the most reckless, you know, social media because they know it gets them attention, which I do think is another form of depression. It's, mm. You know, people are still paying attention to you, whether that's positive or negative. I know it's it's a multifaceted issue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I think, um, you know, I deleted my Twitter a couple of weeks ago. Um, I still post on Instagram ever so often, but I like mm-hmm. post and then delete the app um, because of some of those same reasons. Man, I, I think social media just consumes so much of our lives, um, and we're constantly, constantly like thinking about other people right and and there's no space there's no space in there to really think about yourself um or think about kind of for me i'll speak i'll say i'll speak for myself there was no space for me to kind of think about myself and things that i wanted to improve at because i was constantly just looking at other people's lives um and I, I sat back one day. I was like, "This is just this is strange." <laughs> it is, yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, it really is. And um, I think uh, with the comparison point of view, like I don't think there's ever been another time in history where poor people have been exposed to the lives of rich people. Yeah, right. Like they live in separate places, are like do different things, but now. Everybody can see everybody. Mm-hmm. Well, really, everybody can see the rich people because the rich people aren't really following the people who don't have that much money, like the, <laughs> rich, the rich, famous people. And it, it's yeah. like, in that comparison, I think that it's a stressor. And I think that's what we've been saying. Like, it's a stressor for people um, because they realize, you know, I'm never going to be that rich. No matter how mm-hmm. hard I work, I'm never going to be that successful. Um, yeah. And so again, you had... you... go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, you have that added on top of your already daily stressors. Right. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a strange thing. Um, I'm really interested to see, like, where the research on social media goes, you know, in the next, yeah. next few years. Um, and the impact it has, especially on our generation, but the people younger than us. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, it was my time. I don't know if we, if we gave a perfect solution there, but no. I think the overall so I think goal were... is to reach out. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think the accountability lesson is really important. You know, right. see what see what your your people need. Um, ask them how you can help, and then be accountable that way. Um, and I think people should really think about um, their consumption of social media. I think it's really important. Um, mm-hmm. And they're like, um, if you like Google, if you get on the internet <laughs> um, and like look up um, like social media cleanses, you know, there there are things that there are like methods that can help um, mm-hmm. from like mm-hmm. removing um, certain images off of your profile, taking a number of days off of uh, social media. It actually like gives you things to do on those days and other things you can do during that time. Um, and I know that Instagram and other apps are like embedding within their app. Um, they'll tell you how long you've been using their you've app. You've been on it. I saw that yeah. too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And I'm, really? I'm sure yeah. some of those some of those numbers will shock people right. when they when they looked and see how long how much time they're spending, um, and not even just like scrolling. Mm. <laughs> yeah, or having a cutoff time. I um, that's yep. actually a, a person I follow, and that's kind of what she does. She says like at eight, that's it. You know, and she won't get back on until eight again the next morning. I like that. Yeah, that's a good idea, and it can help you get some sleep. Oh, well, yeah, that too. <laughs> it will help you get sleep. Oh, and then I guess just to, you know, have the information out there, don't forget you can always call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline mm-hmm. at um, 1-800-273-8255. Um, also, I've seen, like, when this Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain stuff came out, um, people were talking a lot about how you talk about suicide mm-hmm. is important. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not like super well versed on it. I just kind of read a few things. So that's why when I was talking about uh, Dr. Cunningham, I tried to say death by suicide. Like um, mm-hmm. there's a lot of discussions. Actually, um, there was this really interesting argument that happened between Leslie Jones and this other guy. Did anybody see this? I did not. Oh, okay. Well, you're not on Twitter no. like that, right? No, I don't okay, have Twitter yeah. at all. No, I just see. I'd be, yeah, I don't have Twitter. I'd be all on Twitter. I'd be seeing everything, right? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this dude like got into it with Leslie Jones, and it was just really weird because like she had said she was she had tweeted about you know I'm really upset that Anthony this isn't her exact words but she was just saying you know she was upset that Anthony Bourdain had had died by suicide but she said killed himself mm-hmm. um, and. And so the guy tweeted her and was like, hey, like, uh, you shouldn't basically t- trying to tell her, like, you know, I, I, I would hope that, you know, in the future you change your language about this. And you should. And he said, you should do re- you should research. You should do some research. And he gave her a link to an article that went into um, details about how you should talk about suicide and why. And basically one of the main reasons is that you know, we need to treat suicide and depression, you know, as a disease. Um, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so we don't say you cancered yourself um, or something like that. You know, you, you take the, the responsibility, like only with suicide, you know, we put the, the responsibility on the victim or, you know, mm-hmm. or we don't do that with other diseases. And so that's just the point of like changing the language died by suicide versus uh, killed himself. You know, that just says a little bit that feels differently about, um, responsibility and things like that and um, <clears throat> so there were just like some some things in there 
on in the article and then like leslie jones like just kind of in my opinion really snapped on him and was like just she was just very angry at him and like kind of came back at him like don't tell me how to talk and blah 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 and he was like listen like i'm a really big fan like i wrote, <laughs> write a lot of articles about you know what you mean to black people and i was just you know putting this resource here for you and he and then he said you know i was suicidal in the past and i'm speaking from experience that that kind of language like triggers me and mm-hmm. you know triggers people who were in like my mental state and stuff like that so yeah and he was really trying he even like apologized like i'm sorry if it sounded like i you know was calling you stupid by saying do research that's not what i mean and she was like well you should have dm'd me you're trying to come on here and embarrass me and like literally like it got nowhere it was like 10 tweets back and forth between each of them and it just really got nowhere like she was just angry mm-hmm. and he was like dude what did, what did I do and so yeah but anyway so yeah. that whole like kind of drama drama yeah. <laughs> like you said like the internet it's is the just, same parallel just, right with <laughs> Dr. Cunningham where yeah. people don't want to talk about the issue they just you get sidetracked very easily so yeah. it became I'm being attacked instead of a conversation about suicide <laughs> exactly yeah it was it was so unproductive but I mean I clicked the link and I read the, <laughs> the thing so <laughs> at least some, I mean, somebody learned <laughs> yeah so I just think that that's important and if you know you're listening and you're interested about more about this topic and and language that you should use if you're going to write about it if you're going to tweet about it or you know even you know vocalize it to other people you never know what people are going through so you should think about how you phrase things and so there's plenty of resources in the show notes we can put um the phone number that you just gave and then also like the link to the article i'm talking about um just if people want to read that read more about that very cool all right so i'll um a little change of pace uh it is the month of June, and June is Men's Health Month. Um, so Men's Health Month is to heighten the awareness of pre- preventable diseases that have ma- mainly affect men. Um, so last weekend, um, Khadija and I went to a event uh, hosted by the National Association of Health Services Executives, the Baltimore chapter, and the event was titled Redefining Men's Health. Khadija crashed the event. She was the only woman there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it was an opportunity uh, for men to really just talk about health, to talk about the things that affect health. Uh, There was a lot of discussion on nutrition, uh, nutrition education, physical Mm -hmm. activity, Um, some, some discussion on kind of the social and environmental factors. I had to kind of cut off some of the personal responsibility narrative that was happening throughout the session. People were saying, you know, if men would just be men and take control and, uh, you know, do the things they need to do, then, you know, they would be healthy and everything would be better. Um, But like, no, like, um, there are things, there are structures, there our environment really shapes our opportunities and our outcomes. And we can't put all that responsibility on people because people can make the correct decisions. Men can make the correct decisions. And I think what I said was like a system designed to destroy you will still destroy you. Um, mm. And so it's about changing systems. It's about changing the That's environment. Deep, brother. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you. 
Snap, snap, snap. Yeah. <laughs> uh, did you come up with that? Huh? Did you come up with that? On the yourself? spot. I came up with that on the spot. I was upset because a physician said that. And Ooh. I was like, yeah, yeah, I was like, yo, like we, like you are respected. You're in this environment. There's all these young men who are, you know, at this place learning, trying to like learn and, and be successful and learn how to be healthier. And they're going to go disseminate this information further. And we have to be really careful about the messaging. Right. While it is up to like health behaviors are important, um, but our again, like our environment structure opportunity. And if the easiest thing for me is to go next door and buy something that's unhealthy because there aren't any grocery stores, I'm going to continue to make that decision. Right. right. And so it's up to the to governments and to structures and for us to create structures that make the healthy option the best option or the easiest option. Mm-hmm. Um so it was it was interesting, but I but shout out uh, to that organization. I thought the event it was their first men's health retreat or men's health summit, and I thought uh, overall it was very successful. Um, but I, what I want to talk about today is this research article that came out about uh, meeting people where there are, um, and that and meeting people where they are. In that in that sense, uh, there was a study that studied hypertension among Black men and this intervention that happened in a barber shop. And so they would have the barbers give uh, people who came in to get their health cut health information. Um, as people know, you know, black men, our barbers are like, it's like God, wife, <laughs> or husband, partner, barber. Like, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, you know, our barbers is a person that we trust, um, to handle the way that we look, uh, the way that we present ourselves to the world. Um, and the barbershop is an environment where, you know, men like to be, like to hang out. Um, and it's much more than, you know, just a place for where we get a service. Like it's an environment where men can bond, um, and we feel safe and we feel comfortable. Um, and so in this study, uh, they, the barbers gave out health information related to hypertension, related to heart disease, um, if customers had high blood pressure, they were um, like given tests right on the spot. There was a pharmacist there who would give them medication. So there was actually no need for a physician at all, right? They didn't have to go to the doctor at any point. Um, and they saw a dramatic reduction in, um, in, I guess, the scores related to heart disease or hypertension, right? So these men were actually getting healthier um, and had never actually been to a doctor. Right. All the information they were getting was from somebody who they saw, you know, once a month, however often they got their haircut. And because they had pharmacists on site who then could give medication, refer medication or or uh, some people on site who could do the test that uh, then would establish if they needed to see a pharmacist mm-hmm. um, or get medication from a pharmacist, that they were able to create this kind of health environment that existed outside of a hospital yeah um i think khadija and i were actually talking about this earlier today you know what is it what does it mean when we say to meet someone where they're at and i think this study really signifies that right i think so often we think about health and health care in the uh, space of a doctor's office or a hospital Um, and even if we do some public health work it's like ultimately you're going to end up at the doctor anyway um but I, I think this was really cool, right? It's uh, it's it yeah. kind of signifies where we should be 
placing our money. Like if we're placing our money on making communities healthier, healthier and disseminating information widely, um, you know, we're not really targeting these specific locations where honestly people just never go to. Like I'm, most people, mm-hmm. most black men, <laughs> men in general, don't go to the doctor. Right. Um, and if not they're not going to the not doctor, regular. rather than shaming people for not going to the doctor, let's put yeah. health structures and health information where they readily go. Um, and I think that's something we as black health are trying to do. You know, what, what makes sense for black people in the spaces that we occupy, the places that we go, um, where, where can we inter, interject health in those spaces? Um, so I just thought, I thought that was yeah. really cool, really cool study. I think the implications are really interesting. Um, I'd be interested to hear how like physicians feel about this um, because it kind of takes their power away from them in a sense, um, that they're not the only people who can disseminate health information, right? Um, oh yeah, you're right, it does. Yes. I, I would hope they would, you know, I hope they would be okay with it. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. But I think this is something that we've um, we've seen as the healthcare industry changes. Right. There's um, more reliant on community clinics, less reliance on doctors. Um, and I think as as hopefully public health continues to um, increase its prominence and funding and just the understanding of its importance, uh, that more money. Uh, will be placed into communities and allowing communities, giving communities the tools and the resources to make themselves healthier um, rather than relying on a hospital or a doctor's yeah. office to do that work for us. Um, yeah, so in the, in the spirit of Men's Health Month and shout out to all the barbers out there, um, I thought that was really, really cool. <clears throat> right, and I mean, like we want to put the power in the community and then ultimately like the individual. And so there's no good reason I could see that all of this knowledge and about, you know, how to be healthy should be simply like in a doctor's hands. So I kind of don't really care what doctors feel about this kind of (laughs) intervention, to be honest. Actually, (laughs) I mean, if they have like opinions and, Mm -hmm. and I, you want to make sure people get, good information, accurate right. information. Mm-hmm. I don't think that they need to even be locked out of this process, but if their opinion is, you know, only a doctor should do something like this, I don't really agree. I actually think they would be open to it mm-hmm. because physician burnout mm-hmm. is a big problem. Yeah. And so if they can, I think, push some of their responsibility onto someone else, they would be happy to do yeah. so. Yeah. Yeah. I think and the bigger I know issue that... is that... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. That, um, they have health information, but they, they don't know another way to present that health information. And so that's when kind of community health, population health, public health, all those structures come in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that health systems are slowly becoming incentivized to keep their patients or like their population of patients like out of the hospital and like healthy so a lot of larger health systems are looking at more community-based interventions um and like you said like meeting people where they're at um in order to keep them healthy and out of like utilizing healthcare services which costs money so Mm -hmm. yeah and it, it takes a intentional like redistribution of their power 
as a hospital or as a health system, right? So like, I want to give, I want to empower other people to give this information. Um, and I think we talked a little bit about trust of like institutions, whether it's the government or hospitals, like your barber is someone you trust. Right. Yeah. So, I, so like, I trust that information coming from my barber more than I'm going to trust this information coming from a doctor because my doctor doesn't really know me. My barber sees me every month. Sometimes I come in here and I vent. You know, we crack jokes. Like this is a this is a friend essentially. Um, and so, I think it's it's interesting to to think about how we can disseminate information, um, not only through uh, community channels but also person to person. I think Paula, you mentioned that it's, it's about the individual. Like, who does this individual trust? How can we get this? Indi- how can we get this information to this? individual through the channels that he or she trusts mm-hmm. it's, it's and one really thing cool. like i've always like thought about and actually needs to do more research about this because i wonder like if this kind of program exists somewhere in the u.s but like i said i work in global health so i've seen this a lot of in global settings but like community health workers like people who are part of the community the local village and stuff usually in a global setting and they are empowered with health information and go out and they tell people about birth control options and uh, HIV medication and HIV testing and where to go. And sometimes they can do some of these services. Um, at the very least, they can provide the information and direct people to the clinics. But a lot of times they do, um, you know, over time, they can provide some of these services. And mm-hmm. um, and just a lot of times like how in in global health settings you have to think about bringing people on board who are part of the community who are um, in faith-based organizations and i just think that those lessons that over there that we've learned and are implementing like we should be doing that here like we really need just people who can go out and talk to their neighbors and are like hey like you should do this and whatever you the barber just like you said man like people you trust um people you Mm -hmm. know and just the more people that you have that are empowered then they're then it's like you're bringing them into the system so then they become advocates for the system yep yeah and there are um community health worker certifications and programs out there um some of them Mm -hmm. you can get the certification for free um I'll look some up and put them in the show notes, but um, there are in some initiatives in the states that are a lo- so honestly, like a lot of where the U.S. healthcare system is moving towards is mimicking global health practices because <laughs> a lot of like global health interventions are like utilizing minimal resources mm-hmm. on vulnerable populations. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so that's like really where the US healthcare system is trying to go, honestly. So there are like a lot of really dope programs popping up that are more on like the community local level and like engaging lay workers um, and just regular yeah. peop- members of the community in disseminating health information and healthcare. So we get in there. Slowly. And when we when we talk about like the barbershop thing, I wonder like what would be similar for Black women. I mean, I guess the hair salon that could work, yeah. but yeah. nail salon, I go there a lot. Yeah, but, yeah. And you also mentioned faith based stuff that mm-hmm. works for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I'm just yeah. like thinking about like the stories like um, my partner has told me about his experiences in the barbershop and how every time a woman walks by, his barber is like, you know, she got a fat ass. And then being like, you got your prostate checked? Like, <laughs> 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 just seems really funny to me. So I like this story a lot. <laughs> When was the last time you worked out, dog? Right. <laughs> That's funny. You should say, drink some water, dog. That's what you need. Thirsty ass. <laughs> like all these health messages coded in like yeah. toxic masculinity. <laughs> okay, so I will talk about my topic so this month is also pride month and yesterday at my nine to five job <laughs> um, i went to or i listened in on a presentation that this really dope organization um called youth reach maryland um and reach stands for reach out engage assist and count to end homelessness um they did a presentation on LGBTQ youth homelessness um, and just how, just like the intersection between homelessness and that specific subpopulation and health. Um, and so that kind of inspired me to do some more research on this topic. And also we're doing a lunch and learn next week on homelessness and health. Um, and so I've been doing some research on specifically the LGBTQ youth of color who are homeless. I know that's like a really specific population, but that's like a super vulnerable population mm-hmm. um, and a super like overrepresented population. So. Um, I'll start with like some statistics and then get into some factors as to why that population is overrepresented in the homelessness um, communities. So um, black people, we represent around 13% of the U.S. population, but we represent roughly 39% of the homelessness population. Um, which is a huge overrepresentation. Um, when it comes to LGBTQ youth, um, that population is also overrepresented in the homeless youth population. So, um, like the issue with this particular topic is that it's really hard to collect data on the homeless population, and like even harder to collect data on like specific subpopulations of that group um but there have been some like local level studies in different cities across the u.s and some of those studies have shown that um over 40 percent of the homeless youth population um identified as lgbtq so that is a very large percentage um and of that lgbtq youth population um 
there's an overrepresentation of black and brown youth um, that were homeless. Um, so like some factors that lead to um, this overrepresentation of young black queer kids who are homeless. Um, so a big factor is uh, transphobia, homophobia um, in our society in general, but definitely like in the black community. Um, and just the fact that like a lot of kids, when they come out to their family, um, their family disowns them and um, will kick them out or the um, child, the adolescent will feel like they don't belong um, in that household anymore. So that, um, just like discrimination in itself is a huge factor. Um, there are also some more overarching factors. So um, a lot of black and brown kids um, have experienced this thing called adverse childhood experiences. So that means that um, at some point in your childhood and adolescence, you have um, been through a traumatic, like emotional or abusive um, or like unstable situation. So that could be um, anything from like physical, like verbal sexual abuse to observing your um, mother getting abused. That's an adverse childhood experience to like um, parental or household substance abuse or substance use disorder, sorry. Um, so that is a factor that leads to um, higher rates of homelessness in black mm -hmm. youth. Um, there's also like poverty, um, mental illness and substance use disorder, um, being justice involved, whether that's like their parents um, being involved in the criminal justice system or um, the youth themselves being involved in the criminal justice system, um, and intimate partner violence, sex trafficking, there are a lot of factors. Yeah. Um, so as this relates back to health, um, being like there's a the intersection between homelessness and health is really strong. So um, I touched on it a little bit, but in terms of like mental illness and substance use disorder, um, black youth who are homeless. Um, black queer youth who are homeless have higher rates of mental illnesses like depression, anxiety, and also substance use disorders, whether that be like alcohol use or drug use. Um, this population also has higher rates of suicidality. Um, so I know we've touched on that a few times in this podcast, but um, being black and um, homeless and like a part of the LGBTQ community um, really increases your likelihood of having suicidal ideations or attempts or completions. Um, and there's also 
like you have an increased chance of physical like poor physical health outcomes so like as sexually transmitted um diseases or chronic illness so this is a very very vulnerable population um and again like a population that is very overrepresented in the homelessness um the homeless community so um i was trying to think of some like strategies um and some of these strategies were mentioned in the presentation that i listened to yesterday so these aren't all mine (laughs) um but just like some like solutions strategies to combating um like youth black youth uh lgbtq youth homelessness um and really addressing the need of that population um so something that we've mentioned multiple times in this episode but um meeting these kids um this population where they're at um and really targeting interventions um in environments and like social environments that they're in so be it their schools um like youth programs um like interventions in like the home when the um, child is still there um, addressing just like family um level just like stigma and um just like targeted interventions um i think also that understanding like if you are a like someone working in um like homelessness reduction or advocacy um really making sure that you have an understanding of the historical context and the cultural context and norms that lead to um these high rates of black lgbtq youth um being homeless and um what else (laughs) um i think like engaging um and something that like as black health we're really trying to do just like in general but there are so many great organizations already out there doing work with um like vulnerable black populations so like i mentioned before um like reach md is like one of those organizations that's doing work to try to improve like data collection um and like culturally competent interventions for um like homeless youth so i think for other larger organizations or um yeah, I think just like partnering and working with community orgs that are already doing the work, supporting them through like funding or providing them resources or providing those organizations with a voice, like having um, like black youth and black LGBTQ youth um, at the table, um, like helping to make decisions and recommendations is so crucial. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just like the fourth thing, the third thing, I don't know how many things I listed, <laughs> um, but um, just like practicing empathy. Um, I feel like 
Ugh, I feel like so many organizations that are well-meaning and are serving black populations um, or just like other marginalized populations um, tend to just like talk at like those populations and mm-hmm. not like, I don't know. Again, just getting into like bringing them to the table and like truly listening, truly like seeing these people um, and like humanizing um, the individuals you're serving, not seeing them as just like this, like just like from the anthropological lens, just like this really unhuman, like um, just group of, like clients that you're serving or whatever. So um, I think just practicing empathy is really important. So, yeah. <laughs> are there, um, I know that there are some opportunities to like, there are organizations that do like street outreach or like go out in communities and um, do testing or will do, um, um, you know, some health education. Um, I wonder like, I know that, what do you think about like volunteering with those organizations? Is that a, a cool way for people to get involved? Um, I know that, I don't, I, don't, I don't know if these organizations are well-staffed and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of community organizations are always willing and happy to accept volunteers in different capacities. Um, I know that like something that I've learned Um, through another project that I've been involved in is that like there are different forms of volunteering so like you can volunteer like do like hands-on work Mm -hmm. Um, you can volunteer to help like build up like the infrastructure of organizations you can volunteer like your skills um, and like help the organization grow just like business wise Um, so there are like a lot of ways that you can engage with these community orgs. I think the issue is that it's really hard to find like community organizations and there really isn't like a consolidated like list of orgs that are doing this work. Right. Yeah. I know like as Black Health like we find people reach out to us every day and I'm like oh this exists like yeah. Yeah. (laughs) There's so many people doing things, but that's great. Like, and I really like your point about empathy. Um, like I said earlier in the show, like my my older brother is gay, and I I I would describe our immediate family at least as being very supportive and you know understanding of who he is and you know he struggled with his identity, and I a lot of times like I would get frustrated with him like you know what what's the big deal like you know you're you know like I'm your sister like I've you know I've I have no issue with it at all I am vocal about you know advocating for gay people like and our mom and dad are like that too but I just one day like thought about that like like you know what you're saying like empathy like I just sat down and I was like how hard is that for him like just his journey um, with yeah. this and knowing like all the things that like society says to you like 
you know, like just all the messages you get and all these other people who are so okay with being homophobic as fuck and being transphobic and, and Mm -hmm. will, you know, use all types of large reasons that are hard to grapple with, like that to justify themselves, religion or some other kind of like moral thing. Like, you know, we need to there needs to be a man and a woman to make just a baby norms. or societal norm, just whatever they want to use to prop themselves up and to feel justified in what they're doing and hating another person for being who they are. And I mean, like, it's just, and it's, and it's like a, a norm. It's accepted. It's people who are homophobic are not really ostracized from society or anything like that. Like they're everywhere and it's, it's okay. Like it's, it's like an, it's an acceptable opinion you can have, which it's, I mean, to me, it's not, but just, yeah. So people who are um, LGBTQIA+, like, these people are, like, I just feel like really going through it. And we need to just really work on, on making it unacceptable to, to, you know, like, attack these people, pick on these people, shit on these people deny these people rights, deny these people housing, like, all of this, like, we need a, we need a, a, a change in attitudes and values around this issue big time. Yeah. And I think just, like, valuing, valuing all humans. So, like, I feel like, for example, like, guys will be really shitty and sexist until they have like a daughter um and that's like their reason because they like have someone in their life that they care about that is of this different identity so that makes them want to not be shitty but like i think we should just all be good people to others just because they're people (laughs) and we should care like it's like it's such a simple concept, but like it's so hard for people. It's so hard for people. I don't yeah. get it. <laughs> but yeah, that's my topic. Oh, and I had um, recently listened to this podcast called uh, "The Black Guy Who Tips," and on the Black Guy Who Tips, oftentimes he does a, a segment called LGBTQ News. And um, he plays, like, this really, uh, like, fun song <laughs> when he's, like, introducing the segment. But, like, it's, uh, all the articles are usually very depressing. Um, and so, but but not always. You know, sometimes there's good LGBTQ news. But what he had recently talked about, like, in his podcast he did maybe, like, last week or something was about how um, there's this new homeless shelter opening up in New York that's specifically uh, directed for LGBTQ youth and um, it's ages 21 to 24 but that's because like the um, or I think you know part of that age range is that um, the traditional like homeless system for kids um, the cutoff is 21 21. yeah so Mm -hmm. it's this critical point at 21 to 24 where people are still pretty young but you know didn't have anywhere to go before um and so yeah so new york is doing some pretty cool things transformative things um with that um it's a really good sign yeah that's really cool yeah it's part of the nyc unity project 
hmm. an effort to make the city the most welcoming in the country to LGBTQ children. Oh. Yeah. What a great mission. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah, so that concludes the Black Health Pod for today. Um, yeah, and so if you're listening and you need more information or resources or you want to reach out to us about anything, please do not hesitate to email us at engage at blackhealth.com. And we're always open to working with other organizations on projects, events, uh, anything, any ideas you might have. Um, Just reach out to us. We're just like super open and excited about this venture we have taken on and other people's organizations and missions. So we really love to collaborate and uh, definitely check out our website, blackhealth.com and uh, see all the things that we've been writing about. Keep up with us on social media. We're on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. So just uh, stay tuned. Subscribe to our podcast so you'll see when we eventually post another episode. Um, We are trying to get more regular about it, but you know, uh, you know, progress. <laughs> so <laughs> take time. <laughs> Building habits. <laughs> but yeah, and also because we do a lot of other stuff too, like we're not just a podcast. So um, we try to have a few other things that we're offering our audience and people we work with. So yeah, but definitely subscribe so you'll see when we uh, have another one. Uh, and thank you so much for listening. And we will talk to y'all next time. Bye. 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 <laughs>